Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Wednesday, March 16th. Coming up on the show today, we've got your golden nuggets from the guys at Club and Country about Nashville SC. Chris Spatola of ESPN makes his final four picks, and the word Tennessee does come up. The Nashville Predators have just two games left before the trade deadline, but we begin with yet another big cut for the Tennessee Titans. Owning a home in Nashville right now is sort of insane. People are texting and cold calling to see if you want to sell your house, and if you own a home, well, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. In which case, you need to have all of the possible information about your home before you make any real big decisions. Whether that's selling your house, renovating your house, or building a new house, you need to have all of the information. And this is where the Kingston Group comes in, our wonderful sponsor over at buildkg.com. Give them a call. Talk to their folks. They are a nose-to-tail organization. This is not a collection of general contractors. This is a completely in-house custom home and remodeling firm that's been working in Nashville for over a decade and has won awards. I'm not sure what else I need to tell you. Talk to the Kingston Group. You'll be smarter after you have that conversation, whether you use them for something or not. You'll know more about your home, and it'll help you make smarter decisions. That's what Kingston Group's all about. BuildKG.com. The Tennessee Titans didn't surprise anybody on Tuesday when they released cornerback Jack Rabbit Jenkins. It will save the Tennessee Titans $6.9 million against the cap while incurring a $3.2 million dead cap hit. Now, releasing Jenkins didn't come as a surprise. You've got a first-round draft pick in Caleb Farley, who, for all intents and purposes, should be stepping into a starting role this season. If not, there are bigger concerns. But Jenkins is aging, and he was expensive, and there was some money to be saved there. So it makes a lot of sense for for the Titans to make this move. There's also plenty of really high-quality corner options, potentially, available at the back end of the first round, whether it's whether that's Clemson corner Andre Booth or Florida's Kair Elam or Roger McCreary. There's a lot of good names at corner that could be available late first, early second. So moving on from Jenkins, having a young first round pick in Farley, ideally ready to go for camp from a health standpoint, recovering from the ACL, it all makes sense. I will say that removing Roger Saffold last week and of course moving on from Jenkins this week, and while that, you know, it certainly saves you 17, 18 million dollars, and they're both aging and they're not necessarily going to get any better at playing football. They're two guys from a personality standpoint, a leadership standpoint, an identity standpoint that you just couldn't help but notice on the practice field, in the locker room, around the team. They're two guys that sort of led by example and and helped make everyone around them better. So while you can replace their production on the field, I think relatively easily, and obviously do something better with that $17, $18 million, I think the real question here for these two particular individuals, just like a couple of years ago when you lost Jarrell Casey and Logan Ryan... You can replace the talent on the field. The question is, can you replace the personality, the leadership, and the identity that they brought to this team? That's going to be a little bit more tricky, I think, for the Titans. Offensive line and corner have long felt like these were going to be two areas of focus for this team in the offseason. And by cutting Jenkins, of course, on Tuesday after the move, getting rid of Saffold, re-signing Ben Jones, it does feel like those two areas are still very much in focus for John Robinson and the Tennessee Titans moving forward. I suppose I will give you my final four predictions on Thursday, but as a non-basketball expert, they will come with the disclaimer that I'm not sure how much you should care about it. I know sports, but and I know football, but I don't know college basketball the way Chris Spatola of ESPN does. And we had Chris on Fringe Element podcast this week, got almost 30 minutes with him about what happens if the Power Five actually steals the tournament away from the NCAA, 
how deep of a run should Tennessee, Kentucky be on, his concerns about Auburn, a whole lot of stuff with Chris. He's a fantastic guest, fantastic interview, and knows everything there is to know about college basketball. So when I ask him who are his final four picks, and he mentions Tennessee, well, you guys need to hear what he has to say. Yeah, I've got I've got Gonzaga, um, and I, and they're going to be hard to beat, man. Like I I just I think they are. Remember, stuff carries over, and and it has carried over over multiple years. Like everybody wants to say, well, they haven't won a national chip, yeah, but they've they've won a lot of games in this tournament, and by the way, played in a title game last year, and there's DNA left over. So I I think I think Gonzaga, and by the way. I think their region's tough, but they don't have to play the tough part of that region. Uh, so I like Gonzaga. I like Kentucky. We've talked about. I like Kansas. You know, Kansas had a hell of a year. And I think everybody spent so much time nitpicking Kansas a- instead of focusing on what Kansas does really well. Kansas is one of the best offensive teams, one of the most explosive offensive teams in, in, in college basketball. They've they've had one of they've got a, a, an all American in Ochai Abaji. They've got another guy who I thought was screwed out of first team All Big Twelve in Christian Brown. And then I think if anybody watched the Big Twelve tournament, the Big Twelve was you know they in the SEC were the two best conferences all year. I think what people fail to realize is Kansas shared the regular season title and they won the conference tournament title. I mean that's how good that team was this year. And I think anybody who watched the the, the Big Twelve tournament saw that. Remy Martin is started to play better. Like he's been hurt all year. And I was talking to Bill Self. I did one of their games a couple of weeks ago. And I said, what's the ceiling? Like, how do you become a final four team? And he said, we have to see what Remy does. Like if Remy comes back and he's effective, we got a chance to be really good. He's back, played well in Kansas City. So I like Kansas. And then I've got Villanova. But like I said, I, this is the one I'm least sure about. Yep. Here's what I yep. do know. It's either going to be Villanova or Tennessee out of that region. <laughs> I, I do not trust Arizona as much. I agree. Um, you know, I think they're kind of an upstart. Doesn't mean they're, I don't think they're good, uh, but not having Kirk Crease is a big deal. So I, I think it's, uh, I've got Nova, but it could be Nova or Tennessee out of that region. That was Chris Patola of ESPN. And I agree with him. The Villanova, Tennessee, Sweet 16 potential matchup is probably going to decide the regional. And I agree with him about the other three Final Four candidates. If you want to hear a lot more about Tennessee, the committee, how they got seated, why he thinks the Volunteers are playing the best basketball of any of these teams and can make the deepest run, why he likes Kentucky, why he doesn't like Auburn, and what could happen if the Power Five actually takes the tournament away from the NCAA, all of that and so much more on the Fringe Element podcast, out everywhere you get your podcast covering SEC football mostly. We had to dip into the basketball world, of course, this week. So check out the entire interview with Chris Patola this week on the Fringe Element podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. The Nashville Predators might have picked the exact right time to suck and the exact right time to turn it back on. Nashville beat Pittsburgh on Tuesday night 4-1 to give the Preds their fifth win in six games. What's more impressive is over that span, they've scored 28 goals. That's almost five per game over a two-week period entering the trade deadline weekend after the worst month of hockey of the year. Depending on what happens, we could very much be pointing to the 8-0 win over San Jose as the kickstart to the final chapter of the Preds regular season. Sure, there will be some mini slumps and some mini runs, but ideally this team settles in and plays consistent hockey over the final five weeks of the year, giving itself the best chance at success in the postseason. Nashville has two games left before the Monday trade deadline. That's 2 p.m. Central Time on Monday the 21st. And according to David Poyle, yet another week has gone by with little movement in the Philip Forsberg contract negotiations. So before we let Forsberg trade slash contract talks take over, 
let's take a look at the Preds' record chase. After three more assists on Tuesday evening, Roman Yossi now has a career-high 69 points. Nice. 85 is the record, and Yossi's on pace to obliterate Paul Correa's all-time Preds single-season record. He's also got 52 assists, just two away from Correa's single-season record of 54. He could break that on Thursday night against Philadelphia. Tanner Janot scored his 19th goal of the season on Tuesday, putting him just seven shy of tying Philip Forsberg's single-season rookie goal-scoring record. Forsberg is the only rookie in team history to ever score 20 goals, and Janot is just one away from joining that club. Also with four more hits, Janot has 205 on the season and is six away from breaking Shea Weber's single-season Preds hits record. Of course, to be noted, that is a modern record that's only been tracked since really the strike of 2004. Forsberg and Matt Duchesne are still three goals shy of Victor Arvidsson's single-season scoring record of 34, and Forsberg is still one shy of tying David Legwand's all-time career scoring record of 210 goals. Both Duchesne and Forsberg are averaging more than a point per game, and all three, Yossi Forsberg and Duchesne, are all on pace to break Steve Sullivan's single-season record of 1.05 points per game. If Duchesne plays enough games, he could easily become just the second, or third, player to reach 80 points in a single season in a Preds uniform, and could also challenge Korea's single-season record as well. To top it all off, Yossi is a Norris Trophy candidate defenseman who is also on pace to break Patrick Hornquist's single-season shot record of 275. Again, another reminder, Roman Yossi is on track to break the single-season points and shots record as a defenseman. It truly is insane that in the middle of a giant trade deadline playoff hunt for this franchise, we are also talking about six, seven, eight, nine really important, genuinely interesting records that this franchise and this team could break. Nashville is back on the ice on Thursday night on the road against Philadelphia, and then we'll face Toronto at home on Saturday before Monday's trade deadline. The 440 is brought to you by the Kingston Group, BuildKG.com, Nashville's award-winning, locally-owned, custom home and remodeling firm. The website, the work, it all speaks for itself, so go check out their stuff. And before you make any big decisions about your house, make sure you talk to them. That's the Kingston Group, BuildKG.com. It's Wednesday, so it's time for your Golden Nuggets from the Club and Country podcast. The guys Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan doing a great job covering Nashville SC, so make sure you check out that show. And following the loss to Dallas, what was probably the worst offensive showing of the entire season. Yes, I know it's been a short season, but so far one of the worst maybe ever of the Gary Smith MLS era. Well, the guys, Wes and Tim, try to explain exactly what happened in the loss to Dallas last weekend. Nashville didn't manage a shot in the second half of the loss. They didn't take a shot on target all evening, according to Opta. It's the first time that's ever happened to Nashville in MLS. So just five total shots for the boys in gold. That equals their season low last year. Was Dallas, Tim, that impenetrable? Or was this just an issue of poor chemistry among Nashville's attackers and just never really being able to, to get their rhythm? Poor K, no los dos. It was, it was a little bit of both. Why not both? I think, yeah, both Gary Smith and Sean Davis mentioned in the post game that the team was having trouble even getting into the final third. So if that phase of the game isn't sharp and then once it gets there, the attackers also aren't sharp, you're just not going to have a lot of chances. Um, it did. It actually did seem like Nashville was in some dangerous positions. Um, the AVPs, the advanced platforms for the, for the people who are scuffed listeners who know that that's what Canada calls them, they 
you're in the positions that you want to be in because there's not a shot there. You don't get any XG, but it's, it's, it's a valuable position. Nonetheless, one thing that I'd actually like to see is, is Mukhtar and Leal, especially maybe some of the other players for this Nashville C team, but those two, especially take some speculative long distance shots because we know Leal can hit them. Mm -hmm. Um, We presume Mukhtar can hit them from the run of play. We know he can hit them from free kicks for sure. Um, You know, that's an opportunity to score, but it's also an opportunity to make Dallas from the keeper to the back line. And even those defensive midfielders just feel uncomfortable. And that probably makes, life easier for you in other ways too that was west bowling and tim sullivan of course of the club and country podcast covering nashville sc rate review subscribe everywhere you get your podcasts make sure you come by ml rose again for another watch party against real salt lake in week number four their fourth consecutive road match we are closing in on the opening of that brand new stadium of course and ml rose is a great place to watch road matches with some of the 440 sports supporters groups the heaters in the eastern front and of course will be a prime spot for pre and post game when games actually start happening in Nashville. That's the Club and Country Podcast brought to you by ML Rose, everywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you guys all for listening, of course. My name is Braden Gall. You can get to me on the Twitters at Braden Gall. Check out the YouTube page and let us know what you think about the long forms we're doing on Tuesdays with Zach Lyons of Broadway Sports Media. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love the feedback always. So rate, review, subscribe, share the show, comments on the Twitter and the YouTube, all that great stuff. So do all of that. We really, really appreciate it. Again, thank you guys all for listening. My name is Braden Gall. This has been the 444 Wednesday, March 16th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.